in the Ozarks was have a lot of what we call preppers or people that are, you know, they think they're ready for it, whatever it might be. No. Mm. No. No amount of ammunition, no amount of uh, you, food will probably help, but they'll also make you a target. Mm. Um, there's a lot of things you just don't think about. Your gun will not save you from the mob. Right. God will not save you from the mob. Um, there's just no way to prepare yourself for what's coming. Hey, y'all. Put on your boots, grab your headphones, and let's get a little muddy as we build a community rooted in the love of dirt roads, whether dust or mud. Welcome to the Dust or Mud Podcast. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode number 17 of the Duster Mud podcast. Uh, thank you for joining us. Today, we have a really super special treat. Um, we have special guests visiting with us. We're going to yeah. have a conversation about freedom. We have Andrew and Anna Filipov, and they Welcome. have a story or just, well, their life experiences are just going to, we're going to dive into freedom. Yeah, absolutely. So, Andrew... We we got this right, I think, in our pre-conversation, both of you from the Soviet Union. Correct. Yes. <laughs> and But it turned into both of you from different countries. Yes. And so so we, we were born in one country, and then we turned out to be in different countries. Awesome. This is going to be yeah. such a great conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and you came to the U.S. You've been here for quite a while now, citizens of the United States, yep. and we'll get yep. we'll get through all of that. And to me, this episode, we are all going to get a huge lesson in freedom. And I'm I'm really excited as we dive into this. So, okay. yeah. all right, here we go. So, tell us about what are some of your earliest memories of living in the Soviet Union? <laughs> Just the regular childhood memories, going outside, hanging out with friends, um, spending summer with grandparents, going to school. Yeah. I guess my earliest memories would be taking strolls with, or coming back from um, preschool. My dad would pick me up after work and we would be going home winter it's going to be dark he would be pointing out in the stars and teaching me english oh wow oh so that's cool why why did your dad know english uh he was in the military all his life basically he mm. went into military academy when he was like 14 or something oh wow yeah and uh he was a head of a military academy in st petersburg and uh he was, I'm not sure, like chief or dean of the international faculty. Oh, nice. So when he spoke English, he spoke Spanish. He actually was, uh, he served in Cuba for four years during the Caribbean Missile Crisis. Yeah. <laughs> so he had some interesting stories. I guess. <laughs> I guess so. Wow. Yeah. Andrew, how about, how about you? What are some of your early Pretty much the same, just childhood stuff. Um... Mom, dad on the seashore, Baltic Sea sunsets, things like that. Nothing really crazy, just working like Anna said, 
pretty much any kid would be uh, hanging out with grandparents and doing something for the summer while parents are working. Yeah. Yeah. The grandkid, it would be slaving for the grandparents. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you're talking about gardening and... uh, Taking care of animals if they're worrying in. But you're learning all the life skills. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean... Not everybody, you know, there were a lot of kids who were like living in the city and, you know, during summer they would go into summer camps. Mm, okay. Um, but if you had a chance to go to the country, I mean, you'll be shipped off for the summer <laughs> and then you learn some valuable life skills like how to take care of animals, how to milk a cow, how to tend to the garden. Mm, really cool. How some really sometimes valuable building life stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. How you put things together, how you arrange them things, how to take things apart. Right. I mean, you may not put them back together, but hey, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's pretty much uh, standard childhood for most of the pair, most of the people back then. Yeah. So what would you say would be one of like the most misunderstood things about the Soviet Union that people from the West would have? Like Well, the bears are not walking on the streets. <laughs> they're not drinking vodka they're not playing ball like us oh. <laughs> I think it's ideological load because okay. when people think about communism we're, not, we're talking about something like Myanmar or you know some crazy coup yeah. bunch of people running with the AKs and red flags yeah um, people not marching on the, in the streets there was a period when that was happening during the revolution, you know, in 1917 when that all happened. Yes, of course, there were people marching on the streets, running around with uh, flags and posters and everything else. But yeah, other than that, like, it's regular But that life. was not your child. That wasn't your child. No. You grew up in time, the 80s. Yeah. Um, you know, it was in the 80s, I think the ideological load went to nothing and people were just sort of doing their thing i mean you get up go to work go to school um yeah you would like in school they would teach you who lennon was and who marx was but it really wasn't that big of a low to where you know this is what you have to know this is what you have to do mm-hmm. um i think Probably by that time, a lot of people were disillusioned. Mm-hmm. So they're like, okay, whatever. Well, another thing I just mm-hmm. thought about, you know, going to school and, you know, it was still Soviet Union before the collapse and everything else. Kids never paid attention who is rich, who is not. Mm-hmm. We all had uniforms. We had to go to school to uniforms. And this, you know, class separation was never an issue. You know, we were all equal. Mm-hmm. So you never like you would never get bullied because you're from a poor family or your family cannot afford the latest fashion clothes right. or right. you know you don't have the best backpack mm-hmm. or your iPhone is not current model. Yeah, right. right. So in a sense, it was. I mean, I can't say everybody was equally poor, but they were at the same time. I mean, yeah, poor. Is, there's so many meanings to it. Yes, but people did not have much. Right. Uh, by the standards that we lived back then, it was enough because you didn't know even know any better. Mm. I mean, you had your clothes, you had your food, you had your house. Really, what else do you need? 
Mm-hmm. Now we're just trying to keep up with the wants. Uh, where back then I was like, okay, well, it seems like you got enough. Uh, you know, you get to go to play somewhere on a playground or go to the lake or as a kid, one of your kid. Right. That that was it. I mean, yeah. that was, if you get to go somewhere in summer camp, that was huge. Right. Mm-hmm. But no, nobody thought about, oh, you know, I, I need this phone or I need these shoes or I need this, I need that. Well, and then again, as kids, you don't really, we never really paid attention much to it. And for growing up, it was different. You know, having a washing machine, it was a big deal. Because, you know, in the 70s, early 80s, not every fam- household had a washing machine. Right. Mm. Consumer goods were pretty much non- yeah. non-existent, like... Washing machines. I mean, that was a big TV was a pretty big deal. Um, I mean, you would have to sign up. Let's say there's an electronic store, you would go in and, but you have to sign up for the line or waiting list, and that may take a month. That may take a year, depending on how many TVs they're going to produce according okay. to the plan, manufacturing plan. Oh wow. Um, so, well, because it was planned, like Soviet well, Union planned had a planned economy. economy. I mean, they had a what? It was a, called planned economy. Planned economy. Okay. So, so the government says we need a million TVs produced before this date, and we want to make sure that we produce enough so nothing is sitting out on the shelves. Yeah. Hmm. And then, well, what if you need a million and a hundred thousand? Well, you're out of luck. You'll have to wait till next year. <laughs> you have to wait till next year, next production year, and then... And it's not just TV. It was the cars, too. I remember, like, people were waiting for, like, five years to buy a car. Wow. Wow. You can get it secondhand, but then you're paying a uh, premium. Hmm. On a second hand. So. Mm. Well, and people would get creative. I remember my dad was telling a story how... One of his uh, co-workers would put all of his relatives on this waiting list for the cars. You know, his mother-in-law, father-in-law, uncles, aunts, and everybody who he can. Mm-hmm. And like once their turn comes in, he would buy that car from them, mm-hmm. and then he would just sell it on the oh. secondary market. So <laughs> yeah, found a way to make money out of it. Yep. Yeah, the yeah. government was not too happy about it, but I can't really say that it was illegal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, mm. it was frowned upon, I guess, but mm. cool. <sighs> and then again, this is something that wouldn't have fly during Stalin air, for example, right. or even yeah. like Khrushchev's air. It wouldn't fly. But then, you know, closer towards the end, the seventies, eighties, mm-hmm. was a yeah. There was one word that we were talking about. Gorbachev was, you know, Perestroika, Reconstruction, Glasnost, Freedom of Speech. But there's also another one that was Deficit, which is. Deficit. deficit. Oh. And it was a deficit of everything. Oh. Um, especially consumer goods. I mean... Toilet like paper, that. soap, uh, any cosmetics, you know. I was telling you that my mother was a dentist and like people would come and uh, there was this thing and it's, you know, it's a countrywide, it's Part of the mentality, I guess, you go to see a doctor, you have to bring a gift. You know, a box of chocolates, a bottle of cognac or something, or, you know, French perfume or some makeup. But he, it was not readily available at the stores. Wow. So That's why there was no point in bribing somebody. I mean, 
I can give you X amount of rubles, but what are you going to do with that? Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. if you can't buy anything for him. And that was the funniest thing because it seems like there's nothing in the stores, uh, but everybody had something stashed somewhere. And everybody had connections. And, yeah. you know, if you needed some good meat, you would call your friend who is working at the uh, butchering department at the store. And yeah. then somebody can- knew somebody always. <laughs> right. So we we teased it a little better. I did about you. You grew up in the same con- country, but were you were there differences like ethnically, or were you both like did, did, was was there any family differences? So whenever they, I don't think we mentioned it yet that you you were bo- both born in one country, which was Soviet Union, but then. You wind up in Latvia. Latvia, and you wind up in Russia. Russia. Yeah, and so yeah, what were the what were the well, differences? Every re- well, it was consistent of fifteen republic, and every republic had its ethnic um, flavor. I guess you can say you know every ethnicity tried to keep their traditions like. You're talking Armenia, Azerbaijan, Georgia. I mean, those countries have thousands of years of history Mm. and traditions, and Mm. it was all kept. Mm. And at the same time, we were all all Soviet people. We're all equal. So in difference of upbringing, too, and then every family is going to be different, too. You know, somebody was a little better off. Somebody was a little better off, better educated. Right. Um, but overall, like in between people, I n- I never saw any hostility toward different nationalities. Mm. Um, it all started after the fall. Yeah. Got it. Okay. After the fall of the Soviet Union. Okay. Yeah, we're all, pretty much the same way. I mean, there's really not that big of a difference between. I mean, we have relatives in Saint Petersburg, and uh, we did go to. Russia a couple times and it's not like I couldn't tell that big of a difference between where we were versus Russia. Again, depending on where you go, it's a huge country. I mean sure. it's huge. You know, and everybody you ask them might have different answers there, but But then like Baltic states like Latvia, Estonia, Lithuania, they were considered the face of the Soviet Union. So basically to go there, it was almost <laughs> you're going to a different country. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, it, well, it was a little more, a little more European. European. Mm-hmm. Um, what happened was more tourist historical I mean, influences. Too. There, I mean, oh, okay. You looking at Tallinn, the capital of Estonia. I mean, that's how Paris looked in the fourteen hundreds. Yeah. Oh wow. Well, and it survived World War Two. Was all being majorly bombed, and mm. so it's one of those in the Baltic states. Um, one of the better cities to go to as far as just the architecture the old you actually feel the old city thousand year old walls and catacombs and oh so yeah it's such a good experience <laughs> going there mm-hmm. uh, but was a russian empire before the ussr um it was just part of empire it was just the you know there was no countries like latvia or armenia or georgia or um and Lenin's thing, Marxist thing, was every nation has a right of self-determination. 
As a matter of fact, you know, with all the stuff we've got going on now between Israel and Palestine, in so well in Russia now, back then in the Soviet Union, there was actually Jewish autonomy. They okay. just said hmm. the Soviet government said, "Okay, we're going to have this plot of land, and it's going to be Jewish autonomy." Um, hmm. Was um, Latvia? I mean, all some of those borders were kind of drawn, depending on where the World War One stopped, and there are so many things going on there. But the key was every nation supposed to have a right of self determination. So every nation basically said. Okay, we're going to carve out piece of empire, and they created countries, and some existed for a long time, some were new, um, and then those were joined back together was uh, US in the USSR. And I'm sorry, and about self determination too, like going back to the Soviet Union schools. Um, they all studied Russian, you know, Russian was the official language, but then in the republics, all the kids also studied their national language. Like in Ukraine, they had, you know, Ukrainian language. In Latvia, they studied Latvian. Okay. In Armenia, they studied Armenian, Georgia, Which Georgian, yeah. Now mm. when we look at it, and I hear, well, Latvian language, it was banned during USSR, and it's like, it doesn't make sense. I mean, hmm. I remember... Gosh, my birth certificate was in two languages. Um, really? Oh, wow. The stores, the storefronts were always in two languages. So I'm not sure where that's coming from, but, you know, that's how people, kids are being brought up now that, oh, they were so oppressed and they couldn't speak their language. I mean, there was Latvian schools and there was Russian schools. Hmm. Um, it just depends on, and a lot of times, Latvian families would prefer to have their own school versus having Russians to go to Latvian school as well, just because languages, um, most of the time, Latvians will pick up Russian a lot easier than Russians will pick up Latvian, just language differences. Mm -hmm. So you put a couple of Russian kids in a Latvian class and all of a sudden, whole class speaks Russian. And they were trying to avoid that. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just the way it, the way it was. So I can't really say there was a lot of ethical tensions. Um, I'm sure, again, there was things here and there, but... Well, like, I have relatives in Ukraine. I had relatives in Georgia. And uh, mm. I always remember talking to relatives, and they all studied their own language. They studied their literature in their own language. So, Got mm, it. Yeah. So let's go to the... 80s going into the late 80s as things are starting to decline how how bad did it get so this would be under gorbachev oh, right yeah okay so very bad and very quickly yes. <laughs> really yeah so did it uh, like w was there any lead up to it or I, I know we talked we talked about perestroika and glasnost um was it like were were those what led up to things getting bad? Were they getting bad already? Like how how did that how did the the progression happen? There were several things that were happening economically. Um, part of it was Gorbachev enacted dry laws. I mean, the state had a monopoly on alcohol sales. Now, when you think mm. about it, well, mm. not a big deal, but it's a huge amount of taxes and mm. profits for the state. Oh, wow. So that went out the door. Then uh, several wars like in Afghanistan and I mean that was a huge drain on the budget as well. 
Um, so just a combination of all those little things, and sound big, sound little, but um, the economy was sputtering. And then the oil prices dropped, uh, I think it was like down to $5 a barrel at some point, because where USSR was one of the big exporters of oil. Mm -hmm. um, so things started sputtering, and at the same time, stores, store shelves went bare. Um, so you couldn't buy your everyday stuff, and all of a sudden your ruble or you know currency. So what caused the out. what caused the shortage in goods? Combination of panic buying. Okay. Um. I think that was the I think that was the biggest thing. Like people, did they see something they on the horizon? Do you think? Well, you got to understand that Russian history is war, trying to rebuild, war, trying to rebuild. Every time the winds blow from a different direction, people just go into uh, let's buy it out mode. I mean, it's probably like on a genetic level. Of yeah, like, I mean, <laughs> going to the survival mode. Right. You just got this uh, fifth sense where it's like, okay, matches, people buy out matches, sugar, salt. Buckwheat. Buckwheat. Wow. <laughs> kind of like rice here. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so people start stashing stuff. And all of a sudden, again, it's planned economy. Okay. It's not like you can go and say, well, give us five more tons of meat on the next run. No, because your collective farm is supposed to manufacture X amount of goods in this amount of time you're not going to get more stuff out of them because that's what they supposed to do and then in the next five years when they're going to have a next plan it may change but in the meantime if you bought everything out that's just it that's just it i mean you're not going to get anything out of anywhere just because that's what was planned Hmm. <clears throat> um, one thing that happened with Gorbachev was um, he went to this model that was kind of a hybrid um, and there were some cops that were starting so you had hmm. farmers that were starting there were cops uh, problem was that was usually their prices would be three or four or five times higher than hmm. the state price the store mm -hmm. so you have two pieces of meat and one will be ruble the other one's five for a kilo well people can really afford the expensive stuff hmm. um because everybody's salaries are still the same right right so they were starting to introduce market economy okay in the private sector and yet most of the government stuff were still on that planned economy so you've got Combative economy. Like a weird mix, like a going, weird exactly. mix going exactly. on. Exactly. I mean, you have... You're working for a state most of the time. I mean, majority, 99% of people will be working, whether it's factory, whatever, but you're still working for right. for the government one way or the other. Um, no matter what you were doing. No matter what. Yeah, because exactly. all the factories, all the production basically belong to the government. So your salary is still the same, whatever was set based on your profession and the level of proficiency. Right. Um, so you're not going to make more 
and then all of a sudden the price of stuff disappeared and then the price went up five times you can still buy this but then you don't really make that money hmm. it's not like you can kick it up a notch and make some extra right? so inflation but anna your your dad was a military officer your mom was a dentist you all must have been well off then right? no <laughs> well i mean i can't say we were poor we were middle class if you can say that but it's we're not rich by any means so you know it's just one of their childhood memories too you know the um payday parents would just sit down at the kitchen table with you know there was no checks or any you know electronic currency back then so you'd like your your wages were given to you and hard cash and mm-hmm. you know they would just be sitting there separating the piles you know this is to pay for the utilities this is to pay off this debt this is to pay that friend who we borrowed money from okay this money will allocate for food and this is that's you know, interesting because mm-hmm. in this country like a dentist and a military officer would get paid pretty well you would be mm-hmm. especially with both that would be a yeah. quite nice salary so if the white we, we would call it white collar mm-hmm. here, right? And if white collar workers were not getting the, I don't know, the I guess the salary we would expect, who was getting it? Like who who were who was more well off? Blue collar. Blue collar. Absolutely. I mean, if you're a blue collar, you're actually making decent money. Why? By that's how the economy was set up. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's really right. not a lot of rhyme or reason there because the state said so. Because you know, the factory said, worker, in a lot of cases, the factory worker would make more money than a university professor. Oh, wow. yeah, absolutely. Because they brought a skill in yes. manufacturing mm-hmm. to the table, yep. I guess. And the best paying jobs were for people to go work up north, you know, on the oil rigs, gas rigs, oh, uh, sure. gold mines. Um <laughs> The anything coal, resources. Yeah, anything, yeah, resources. Yeah, yeah, resources. Harvesting yeah. resources. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of people would go up north to work on the oil rigs. They work there for six months and then come back and not work. for six months and just live like kings. Wow. <laughs> yeah, those are the people that could afford cars, keep, keep vacation. Keep inflation and... You know, yeah, yeah, exactly. Cars and vacations. and uh, But again, most of the vacations, though, when you think about it, it would be... State-sponsored. State-sponsored. So if you're a blue-collar worker, a couple of things are going to happen to you. Um, You probably will be hospitalized for about a week, two weeks for a full medical. Everything. I mean, they will do your x-rays. They make sure you don't have TB, your lungs in good health, your heart, everything. They make sure that you're good to go. Blood tests for any mineral deficiencies. After that, (laughs) uh, you'll probably be sent somewhere south, depending on where you're at. Well, yeah, say, you Um, know, uh, you're working in the factory, you're lifting a lot of heavy stuff, so you're... Back is probably not in the best of shape, so they'll send you to a special. They they were called sanatoriums that yeah, would specialize. Centers. Yeah, that would specialize in treatment of back problems, and there you'll have you know three meals a day. They'll provide. Uh, they'll do special treatments for you, but like they'll look at your case specifically and will prescribe 
the P, you know, physical therapy that you need to do, special right. exercises. Or, oh. You have digestive yeah. problems. They'll send you to a place that will specialize in digestive issues and uh, they'll the, work out menu just for you. And it's funny, my mom actually a couple years ago, she stayed, some of them are still functioning as a private enterprise now. Mm. But people that used to go there when they were young, Mm-hmm. They're still they they paying book of money just to go there, oh, wow. uh-huh. and uh, it's sort of I mean nothing really changed there. It's still the same decor, still still the same rooms, um, probably the same menu. <laughs> but <laughs> but it, it was just it was just interesting to see that uh, you know it still sort of goes on. Well, so Gorbachev and the Berlin Wall and Ronald Reagan and the whole you know. Tear down, tear down this that, wall. Tear down this wall, you know. For us, whew, that was a huge thing. Yay. Non-event. What? Nope. nope, nope. <laughs> Non-event. Saw it on TV. It was like, yeah, whatever. Wasn't that big of a deal. Wow. Okay. Where hmm. were you when the Soviet Union collapsed? I was actually in Siberia <laughs> with my grandma. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. How did you find out? Through the news on the TV. Mm -hmm. We were actually, as I remember, we were getting ready for a birthday party, and we were making a cake while watching a TV, and then you see all this news coming through, and we just just didn't know what to make out of it. Mm. Yeah. I remember the growing ups were being in the state of shock, like, okay, what's going to happen now? What's happening? What's going on? Nobody knew everything because, again, media was still controlled, and the bits and pieces you would get through the news were not really making much sense. Wow. Where were you? That was summer break, like right at the end. So we're getting ready to go back to schools because September 1st is beginning of the year. Mm -hmm. And it was the same thing. Everybody's in the state of confusion. Um, mm-hmm. well, picture something like Texas, Colorado, Florida, and say a couple more states, their governors get together and they sign a piece of paper that says U.S. doesn't no longer exist. And you're like, how does that supposed to work? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it just doesn't right. make any sense. Yeah. And, uh, but in reality, I think the, the society was at the point where they were ready to go their separate ways. Um, didn't really work out all that well for a lot of people, but what was done was done. I mean, there's still arguments uh, whether or not they had any kind of legitimacy where it was, it was literally Ukraine, Russia, and Belarus, they got together and they signed this thing going, are we going to dissolve USSR? And Kazakhstan was ahead of USSR. I think Almaty was the uh, was the capital for a little bit. Oh. And the, like Azerbaijan, Armenia was still parts of it after Russia already left it. Wow. So it was weird times. There were a lot of confusion. Um, and then economically, too, like you work in a factory that's part of the supply chain. You say you're making wheel that's supposed to go to this factory that makes cars mm-hmm. well now this factory is in a different country and just the basic things of how do you regulate everything who's paying you are they i mean there is just so many things that all of a sudden people never thought about and they came into play 
Yeah. Part of it could be too is that uh, with Gorbachev and that you know the glasnost and perestroika thing, it opened the doors for Western culture to come in. Okay. Because before that, you know, with the Iron Curtain, there were little bits and pieces people will know about the Western society, but not as much. And then all of a sudden, this gate opens, and then Soviet Union is flooded with the movies, with the magazines, and people looking at it like, wow, that's how they really live, you know? Hmm. Hmm. So you think that, uh, that led up to some of the yeah? Well, because people think, look at those people. How the Santa Barbara uh, soap opera was a big deal, <laughs> you know. And then people would watch it, and they're like, "Oh my God, this is how they live in America. How come we're not living like that?" Uh, and it was building the social tensions too. Oh yeah. So, All you have to do is overthrow the government, and you get a nice car and have naked girls running around. And- <laughs> <laughs> a mansion somewhere in the ocean shore. Um, yeah, that was kind of a perception of, you know, Western culture and style. Soviet Union was boring in a lot of ways. Okay, I mean, how? Well, you get three types of cars. That's what you get. Three. You get <laughs> an apartment. Huh. Okay. Well, there's probably more, but it's all military. And mm-hmm. let's just say, you know, three major brands. Um clothing because they make five million shoes of this design everyone wears the same kind of shoes of that design mm-hmm. so you're gonna get either this or that Nothing five different between. varieties of the store that's all you get mm. for the next five years till the plant economy changes and then they get the designs in and then they do update hmm. and then you might get Different color shoes, the same stuff. <laughs> but so you, know, you don't get to be original. No, no. Everybody had the same stuff. Everybody, you know, that's why nobody was fighting over it, just because it's all the same stuff. So that 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 was a huge part of it. Um, I mean, a lot of people though, the women. I mean, everybody can saw. Everybody can. Put together a dress in a couple of days, probably, and the thing was knitting, get... sewing. Yep. Yeah. Mm. Oh, right. Well, that so was the make only way own. to be original. You can make your own because you can make your own. Well, like, what is? It? We had two or three magazines in Soviet Union for women, and everybody would prescribe to them because subscribe. Uh, so, yeah, subscribe to them because you know. Every magazine will have like a little section on the cooking there. That's how women will get their recipes. And then there will be a section on, you know, fashion or how to knit the sweater or how to make the dress. Well, wow. So you, you yeah. mentioned things were starting to get bad as building up to the collapse. Did it, did it get worse or did, like what, what happened then? Like, okay, it, it was crazy at first and we didn't know what to think of it then what like did did things get really bad practically overnight you know it's like you go to the store you buy a loaf of bread for like one ruble and then you wake up next morning and it's 1200 rubles and then people lost all of their savings whatever they had it just turned into paper money um, everything disappeared. Um, a lot of 
um, factories closed down or a lot of them kept going. People were producing it, but then, you know, the heads will come it. out and say, hey, guys, we did not get any money from the government. We cannot pay you. So a lot of people kept working for like six months with no pay. And all of a sudden, like, I have a friend, her mom worked at the factory that was making um, computer monitors. And then they said, you know, we can't pay you. We didn't get any money from the government to pay you. So here's six computer monitors for you in lieu of the back wages. Do whatever you want. Wow. Oh, there's one thing with Gorbachev, too. Then there's another word called conversion. Mm. That's when a lot of military plants were converted to civilian needs. And the idea was to boost the uh, civilian production. So that's where you get those titanium shovels and uh, people that used to put together rockets. Now they, <laughs> they're yeah. making toys. I mean, it was funny at times and yeah. sad at the same time. Um, so people got hungry. Yeah. Well, and how, So if there's no food on the shelves, how are we... How? Where did the production, where did the food come from then? Dacha. Dacha? Dacha. <laughs> okay. The, the, just, what does dacha mean and describe it? Victory garden. Oh, okay. <laughs> In the okay. sense. Okay. Uh, but Got everybody it. had a plot of land. Again, you know, when you look at Russian history, it's always okay. just country gets destroyed, rebuild, destroyed, rebuild. And people are <laughs> so used to rely on them, uh, on themselves I think, mm -hmm. that, I think self reliance was a huge part of it, even okay. now. I mean, everybody's still doing the same thing. You can tell fat years from lean years. If you drive down and there, Dodgers usually there would be uh, cops. So you would have, um, depending on the regulations, a certain amount of land okay. was a small summer house. Again, depending on regulations, there was certain standards how big it can be. Some were tiny things so you can just store shovels in like a little shed. Some were more of a decent size summer cottage. Um, and that and would be where the land is located? That the Yeah. 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 Okay. They'll be on the land. And if you drive through those cops and everybody's planting grass, then it's fat years. Mm. Mm. Okay. If everybody's digging the dirt and planting vegetables and bushes. So and what would be the average leaves. size that, say, a family of four would have to grow food on? Uh, the standard was... Um, and everyone was issued this? Was it an issued thing from the government? Or did you, you have could, to purchase? You, could, you could issue it. You could apply for it. You can you, buy it. You could buy it. Um, mm -hmm. stand, so standard size was called 600, which is basically uh, 600 square meters. Okay. Okay. So you take us almost 600 yards, uh, multiply that, you know, was it by nine? You get, no. You get, you get, you get your square feet, but basically 600, 600 yards. Okay. And square yards. Yep. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> that would feed a family of four. Well, I don't if know you get feed. creative, it can be if two you families. Get creative, yeah. Yes. Um, a lot of people would rent some land, mm. okay. and that's actually a viable thing even nowadays. You know, was the people always worried about food shortage and things. If you have somebody like a farmer nearby, and you can rent a small plot of land, it's amazing what you can do mm. and the things you can grow on it. But we had the dacha, and uh, we had a couple more plots of land where we would. Plant potatoes. Plant potatoes. 
Mm-hmm. Cabbages, maybe? Yep. Yeah. So get your basic vegetables and uh, canning done, and mm. all you got to do is hunt for the proteins. Mm. And that can be, you know, I mean, there is always a uh, farmer's market. And those things always, the farmer's market always existed. It was just more expensive than the stores. And again, you know, you kind of gauge it was your income. Um, but and the same thing happening right now. You can get stuff at the store. You can get it at the farmer's market. It's going to be more expensive, but the quality is of no comparison. Right. Got right. It. And Got when it. the... When the uh, system broke down and farmers markets are probably the only place where you can actually get stuff hmm. I mean people were still growing things and um, I had a buddy they had like a good hundred acres where they just planted potatoes oh wow and they were they were killing it yeah he had an old rusted out Mercedes van and uh, I mean you can see through that thing <laughs> but they were holding um, sacks of potatoes about 50 kilo per sack and that was the normal thing like in the fall people would go and buy two sacks of potatoes, potatoes. 50 kilos of hunting about 100 kilos of potatoes that'll last you for a few months yeah mm-hmm. i mean that was cheap and they'll get you through the winter that will get you through the winter that will get yep. you the cold months what? some oh. pickles and some sauerkraut mm-hmm. you're oh, set yeah. there you go Wow. So good. So good. <laughs> <laughs> Throw some bacon to the mix. That'll be nice. That's right. Well, you see, and like now we see the value of the food and it actually nutritionally is good for you. Mm-hmm. But then the Soviet Union was falling apart and then McDonald's came in. <laughs> and oh my God, mm. that's hamburgers and French fries and Coke. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of funny how we go full circle. Right. Mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yep. So what? What led then to your decision to come to the United States? Oh, that's an interesting story. <laughs> so um, I started working as an interpreter when I was 14, so with some American missionaries. Mm-hmm. I spoke English not as well back then. I was still learning, but still enough. And the funny thing is back then, in in a week, I would make more money than my teacher at school would make in a month. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm. Hmm. Uh, got some at friends 14. there. And, uh, at 14. At 14, mm. yes. And then I was getting ready after school. I was getting ready to go into the police academy, high police academy, it was called. And at the time, it was the best um, law education you can get in the country. Mm-hmm. And then, plus, you go and, uh, well, you get a stipend from the military school. So, basically, you, you earn wages while you... Uh, learning. Learning, yeah. And it was one of the best stipends at the time, too. Mm-hmm. And things didn't work out. I had some knee issues, mm-hmm. so I didn't pass the medical test. And friends of mine just fill out an application for me to come here and go to college. Cool. So you came yeah. to the United States to go to college? Yes. Yeah. I graduated from college and I had some relatives uh, in Colorado. Uh, how old? Teens? I was 16. 16? Yes. Going to college in California? Yep. I graduated California. when I was 18. <laughs> from college? Yep. Nice. <laughs> well, wow. Wow. how about you, Andrew? Well, I went to... <laughs> International um, 
law college and we're studying EU regulations, uh, UN regulations, all kinds of things. So for the summer, I figured I'll just get me a summer job. And that was at the dawn of the internet. Found this website, uh, Summer Jobs Online or something like that. And just out of the blue, there was this one posting in Defines, Iowa. Okay. Good luck trying to find on the map of now. Um, and uh, I wrote a guy a quick email going, hey, I'm interested in shoveling concrete for a summer. Would you take me on? He goes, sure, come on over. And that was it. Wow. So next thing you know, I'm in Chicago with 50 bucks in my pocket and a map and trying to figure out where Defines Iowa is. <laughs> uh, that was an interesting experience, but um, I did make it to... Uh, Little town called Boondocks, and <laughs> literally, literally Boondocks, <laughs> and trying to make it to the um, motel where our crew was staying. Again, no car, no everywhere you go in Europe is public so transportation. This is pretty much a so the road cons- crew construction kind of mm-hmm. concrete right, situation, right, right, right? Yeah, I mean they just traveled the state and Got they it. do. Uh, Stayed in the hotels, working at the interstates and stuff. Exactly. Got exactly. You. I mean, and you're how old at this point? Eighteen. So you're eighteen. Nine, you fly to another country. Yep. You have no idea where you're going, yep. and not much money. And not much money. <laughs> no, I, I think that was the worst. Yeah. Now looking back at it, that, yeah. then I was like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. I mean, you I know, would I, do it again. With more money. Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. I mean, it will be horrifying. Yeah. Now you just. You don't think about you it. You don't just think do about it. it. Yeah, yeah. You just kind of do it. Yeah. But now when you're looking back at it, you're going, oh, my God. And um, so I checked into a motel, um, trying to get something to eat. And there's a McDonald's about two miles away, just kind of down cornfield away and um here i am just walking down grab me uh i think back then number one was like either 298 or three <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> john on the way back there's a big construction truck just flying by hit the brakes backs up goes, are you andrew I'm like yeah just come on in <laughs> and that's how i met my uh, boss and the friend uh roberto and uh I'm like how do you know he goes well we don't walk down the highways around here. <laughs> so I figured it was you. You are out and, of place. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's how I started. Um, I mean, next day I was literally on the road shoveling concrete. Wow. So are, are, the, are there any parts of American culture or life here that you found really surprising? Like was Paying it, was for there something at the shock? store, that was a culture shock. You know, you go in, you buy something, whatever... Say it's hundred dollars. You come to the register, and it's hundred and ten or hundred eleven, depending on what the tax oh, rate is. Taxes, yes. sales tax. Yeah, because back home, ev- there is definitely taxes on everything you buy, but it's already configured in the price. So yeah. whatever you see, that's what you're gonna pay. Right. Yeah. Mm. So here it's a little different. Yeah, now, we understand that. That happened yeah. to us when we went to England. Yes. It, except opposite. It was right? opposite. The, right. Mm-hmm. The price was just the price. Yeah, if it, if it said five pounds to it. or a hundred pounds, it was a hundred pounds. Yep. The end. There was nothing. All the vat was already on it. Yeah. Yep, it's already calculated in. And we, yeah, which is very smart of them to do that because it's seventeen percent. 
And so when you're paying 17% at that time in 2005, six, 17% tax and you go up and it's a hundred pounds and they yeah. add 17%, that's going to hurt, yeah. you know? So you, go, go ahead, just here. go ahead. Nothing to see here. Right? <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> How about you, Andrew? Um, just the way people go about their business. I mean, that was different. Um, I mean, stores, I don't think it was really that much of a, at that time, it wasn't that big of a difference just because Latvia at that point, I mean. Well, even so, like even Russia at that point, you know, if you go to the store, you don't get the shock of the overabundance of everything in there because by that time, Russia was pretty well stocked. Okay. Right. But let's say we'll be stopping for a break and Bertie goes, okay, let's go get something to eat. And then we go to whatever, Dairy Queen or... I'm like, you just covered in concrete, you <laughs> dirty and smell like diesel fuel. I'm like, well, are we supposed to change, take a shower? He just looks at you. It's Dairy Queen. Let's go. <laughs> it's Dairy Queen. <laughs> no, we're not taking a shower before we go get a hamburger so, so you know, at Dairy Queen. Like that, you just kinda, you, you, people don't care what other people think of. You Here don't wear your uh, Here? Here, oh, okay. At least the the most people that I ran into, uh-huh. you know, I was like, whatever. I mean, yeah. You see people, okay. You see people in PJs and Walmart. <laughs> I mean, right. guys, oh, we were just, yeah. We were just rolling the other day. We're in right. the gas station. There's this guy in like a Vini the Pooh PJs <laughs> at eight o'clock in the morning and three cans of Monster Energy. <laughs> well. Just you know, just rolling out of there. And he's got a little hood thing, and he's probably about forty years old or so. And you know, we're like. Okay. We all wonder what's well, wrong with him. Yeah, in, in Russia, for a woman to run to the store to get, like, uh, bread and milk, no, she has to put her makeup on, right. wear good clothes, make so sure to put on high heels. Yes. saving how face, how you present yourself. It has really changed matter. now. It's oh, okay. much laid back now. Everybody. But still, still, though. Yeah. Still, though, I mean, you'll be hard-pressed to see somebody. I mean, people go hungry. I think it was that way here, clothes. like in the 60s. It was that way where you didn't go out yeah. in public without it. Yes, without watching the old getting footage, done. Yeah. like 50s, 60s. Sure. It started to break down in 70s songs. Yeah. But I love those old footage because yeah. when you put together, let's say, USSR in the 60s uh-huh. and the States, mm-hmm. there's some differences. I mean, you can see the cars, but, you know, the way that people go about their – is so close. Okay. Uh, versus then it just started changing was, you know, the culture changes and everything else. Right. I mean, well, I was, I remember I was talking to one of my friends. She lived here for probably a good 10 years and then she went back to visit her family and then she comes back and she's like, oh my God, they dress so well, you know, and then you see all mm-hmm. these girls wearing you know, Louboutin shoes, uh, Jimmy shoes, you know, yeah. with nice purses, with Versace clothes on. I'm like, but think about it this way. That's probably that whole outfit, who knows how how long she was saving for it. And that's the only thing she has. Right. That's it. Yeah. yeah. And then you look at your closet and you don't know where to put things. Anything <laughs> else. Yep. Well, speaking of cultural shock, now going back there, okay. you have reverse cultural shock. Because now you don't really care, mm-hmm. but they do. Uh-huh. So oh. we, we were... They still care. We were in uh, Riga and the capital of Latvia. Okay. And there's a little town outside of it. It's a resort town called Yurmaz, seashore. And my cousin's got a house there. And 
we had kind of like Hamptons. Okay, the Hamptons. <laughs> Got it. Okay, and they were like, okay, we know they're throwing a key from Toyota because nobody drives Toyota. You can't. You're supposed to carry yourself. You got to have a Beamer at least. Oh, I don't care. <laughs> the I'm not afraid to be seen in Toyota. Bentleys we've seen there. Oh, it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. But besides the point, so you roll into a car wash. I mean, we're getting ready to fly back. Like, I'll just get the car wash, walk get the car washed. And it was about 20 minutes before they closed. So I literally have like a Bentley, some Beamer, some Jaguar, all those nice $100,000 plus cars. And here I am, a little Yoda. <laughs> the guy walks over to me and goes, we're closed. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, we're closed. Well, there's people behind me. He goes, no, just pull out. We're closed. So as uh, I pull out, everybody else in the nice car just pulls forward. I'm like, son of a gun. Uh, <laughs> oh, they didn't want to wash your car? Nope. They didn't want to wash nope. the Toyota? They didn't want to wash Toyota anymore. <laughs> Wow. So, you know, you don't care, but they still do in, the, in their own way. So it's right. um, it's different. It's definitely haves and have nots now, mm. um, which is, okay. that's a bit of a culture shock, too, mm. when we're talking about, you know, in America, it's not really in your face. I mean, you see rich people, you see poor people, but nobody's really in your face. Like, I mean, maybe pop stars and things that you see on TV, they want to present it that way. But on the street, you can meet a millionaire, you'll never know a billionaire, you would never know. Right. Um, versus over there, everybody's got to show you. Oh, wow. Mm. I mean, yeah. Uh. So it's a, it's a bit of a reverse culture shock now. <laughs> hmm. So you guys set, <laughs> met in Colorado. You both wound up in Colorado. You hmm. settled in Colorado, built or have run businesses for the past, what, 20? 25 years? 25 years. Okay. Um, now you're in Missouri, but you're, <laughs> which we're so glad about, um, your experiences within coming from the Soviet union under a planned economy, how did that influence how you ran your businesses and your entrepreneurship it, seeking that out in this country? Well, first of all, it gives you motivation because again, in a planned economy and your, your income is also planned. So it don't matter how hard you You cannot work. jump higher than the roof. Yeah, yeah mm. you, cannot, you cannot jump mm. higher than what the you know, set limit is. Mm. Oh. And here you go, okay, well, if I have one job, I can do this. What if I have two jobs? Then I can have twice as much. So the, uh, it's definitely part of it is consumerism. Part of it is just the opportunities out there. Um, I mean, we bought our first house or 24. Three? 23? 22? 20, 22, 23. And it's just working regular jobs, and uh, we're working two jobs. So is that so, something that would but it's, it's a motivation. happen over there at 22 well, years old? You, well, no. I mean, you can't, do, just, you can't just have a regular job and buy a house. No. Uh, you just can't afford it. No. Hmm. So here, that was definitely a uh, motivation factor, just coming from, you know, place where you can't really accept it, don't matter how much how hard you work. It just don't matter. Well and then again about the in Soviet it's different in Russia now, but like during Soviet Union you can't just go and buy real estate. They it was issued to you by the government. 
Okay, okay keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I'm interested. Oh, that's, that's well, you, you, you okay. So issued, write, you had to write for X amount of mm-hmm. living space, and I think it went from 95 square feet in. Wait, 90, 90, 90, 90, 90, 95 square feet per, per person, person, per person was the right the, of so, living space that so, you had that yes. they would issue you? Uh, homelessness, Soviet style. Uh, you take a bunch of homeless people and then you go to a house next door and you go, What's You have way footage? too many rooms in your house. Yeah, yeah, how many rooms do you have? All right. There you go. Hmm. So, so now you have all these people living in your house. Based Whether you want them to or not. Yes. Well, and your house is nationalized, so it doesn't really matter. You your know, house you, is nationalized. Yeah, so you... <laughs> you don't own it anyways, so you don't really have a say. So you have four um, or five, or sometimes up to 17 families <clears throat> living under one roof wow. with one wow. communal bathroom, with one communal kitchen. And what does it cost? It costs nothing. Mm. It was, yeah, it was very cheap. But, okay. And then again, that's going back to the waiting list. People right. get on the waiting list to get their own apartment, and that usually would be done through work. Some people waited for 20 years to oh move goodness. out of the communal living situation into their private apartment. So having that as a foundation, then the idea that you can work right. hard and buy something yeah. For yourself. It was huge. Yeah. You just jump on it. Yeah. Right. And then again, the way people lived, it was different too. You know, here, kind of like you're 18, parents give you your set of luggage, good luck. Sometimes. Or you move to college <laughs> or something. <laughs> not anymore. Not anymore. Not anymore. Maybe in the 80s. Yeah. Maybe in the 80s. Well, when we not, got here, yeah, sure. that was still the way yeah. it was in looked In the 90s, at. that was kind of a, the... Uh, you, yeah. yeah, kids could still afford to move you out could. and rent an apartment, and, even know, with roommates. Off you go. Well, kind of funny how, again, we just go in full circle mm. to where kids could not afford to move out of the parents' house, and now we're back to the same Yeah, thing. well, in the True. Soviet Union, it would be, you know, generations. <laughs> thing you know it's multiple generation living under the same roof you know sometimes you had you know a two three not bedroom two three room flat as they were called and then you would have grandparents parents and kids living there you know six sometimes eight people wow. yeah, mm. yeah. Huh. and there was a construction boom right after World War II and pretty much through the 80s, really. But there were plans for concrete panel homes. Um, let's say there was 20 different variations of apartments. So you would build 20 different variation apartments throughout the country. I mean, the homes all look the same. Oh. I mean, there's blocks and blocks and blocks. They all look the same. There's different variations on the inside, but let's say there's only 20 different varieties, and so there'll be 20 different square footages, give or take, based on hypothetically the amount of people that are going to be living there. So your manufacturing or, let's say, furniture makers, whatever they make will be based on the measurements for those apartments. So the furniture fits. Yeah. <laughs> 
I mean, everything was tied together. phenomenal. Well, everything was tied together. That's what I'm saying. Right, when when right. it collapsed, now what? everything just went. Well, my parents got the apartment that they were living in through my dad's work. And it was before, right before I was born. So it was, you know, they gave, a, gave them a two-room flat based on three people. So as soon as I was born, my dad got on the waiting list to, you know, improve the living conditions to get a bigger apartment, and they waited for 16 years. Wow. And then Soviet Union fell apart, so they never got it. And so wow. there was four of us living in the two-room apartment. Wow. And it's not yeah. a two-bedroom living room, yeah. big kitchen. No, I mean... The kitchen, we talk about kitchen, you know, it's probably... Half of this room. Well, a good five feet by ten-ish. Okay. I mean, that would have to accommodate a table, cabinets, and everything else. So, I mean, tiny. That'd be six to nine square yards we're talking about. Hmm. And then the entryway, you can kind of squeeze in and hang it closed, and then it'll be two rooms. There are bedrooms. They're not... Um, family room, living room situations. It's just bedrooms. Personal room was almost an unattainable dream for every Soviet child. (laughs) Your own room. Your own room. If you were a single child, sometimes you had to share with your grandparents. Or, you know, if it was pretty much all siblings were sharing the same room. Right. Sure. And then you, you know, the you all start watching the movies and like, oh my God, look at those houses. Those kids have their own personal rooms, you know. Mm, <laughs> of course. Well, yeah. you gotta accept it. You just go and overthrow the government and it's gonna <laughs> look so good. Mm. Mm. And then you watch Home Alone and that mansion and <laughs> Oh right. Wondering how much uh, they paid mortgage, but yeah, anyways. <laughs> of course, we were watching Home Alone, and it was a, thinking, the same thing. thinking the same well, thing. That's the thing, like we did not have an understanding that, that about people were living in single wide trailers actually and... live that way, right? Right. But nobody explained that part, right? So. That we were like living in double wides, and well, although I say the double wide, and people kind of well look at it as like you know double wide. A lot of those concrete boxes, I'll take double white any time of the day. Oh, right. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, yes. Well, and then again, a lot of the, you know, we're talking about, you know, we came from big cities. But then you go yeah. further into the country, you know, smaller towns, living conditions there were horrific. Because, oh, you know, really? they would take, you know, pre-revolution homes that were all falling apart and they'll just stuff it with as many people they can. See, I was thinking in my mind that the country was going, the people living out in the country would have had, you know, a cottage or smaller house, but more like an American farmhouse, I guess, in my mind is what I had. Some did. Okay. Some did. The problem was that was if you were in the country, you probably working for a collective farm. And not only that, but if you're a collective farm, they would take your passport away and you couldn't travel. So you couldn't even leave Collective Farm if you like. If you go to nearest city, you probably could, but you cannot venture far out, and you wouldn't even have your passport. So do a little bit of a lesson for people watching and listening: collectivism and a collective farm. Because many people I know 
in our, I guess in our country, it would be similar to a sharecropper during, in a sense, in a, yes. sense, in a sense, but far, but, but even more extreme. Even more extreme. Okay. So collectivism. Um, so basically the government took over the land. There was uh, no, uh, in the Soviet Union, there was no private ownership per se. So you did not own your land. And so a lot of farmers uh, who had some land, who worked um, prior to the re revolution, it was all taken away. It was all taken away from them probably like through, well, late 20s, early 30s they started it. Uh, there were so many different things. So at first just... the cities were going hungry. And farmers would not deliver to the cities because the money was worthless. Hmm. Everybody's oh. on strike. Everybody's protesting. Nobody's manufacturing anything. And this is in early 1900s. That's early uh, 1918. 1918. Okay. Right. Okay. Everybody was striving toward world revolution and emancipation and mm -hmm. everybody and poor people in Germany. Well, your kids are starving. Yeah. I mean, it was crazy times. Um, but the cities were going hungry, okay. and the government had to feed the workers. The blue collar had to be fed. So they go in the country. Well, nobody would deliver anything because why? I mean, that money is not going to do you any good if you go to a city and can't buy anything. Mm -hmm. You can't buy anything manufactured, so people were just hoarding food. So they ended up uh, employing an army, starting Protozverska, uh, which would be, you know, they would give you a set amount of grain that you're supposed to collect and send you out in the fields. Um, so that led to confiscation of most of the food. So and the government just confiscated it. Yeah. Yeah. They, got they just came to the farms. Yes. And exactly. took and what took they whatever, needed. And took whatever or what, they needed. Whatever wanted. And then some. Whatever they can find. Okay. So this, so they, so they take the, the government gets involved. They come in, they start taking the food from the people mm -hmm. and the farmers. From the farmers. Okay. Um, Hmm. And then send it to the city. Okay. And then there it will go to distribution centers and will be equally distributed so among the workers. At, at that point, had they taken the ownership of the land? No. At that point, uh, there was still some, again, the slogans were land to peasants, factory to workers. So in theory, it was supposed to be like one large cop where everybody's happy, slaving away and getting... Ah, uh, well, given to your abilities and getting to your necessities, something like that. Okay. Um, but the country was going, the country was starving mm -hmm. because the flu was removed and then the family. Because for several years, nobody planted anything. Well, and people stopped planting. I mean, what's the point in planting when you're going to get it confiscated? Hmm. And whatever the uh, seed stock was there got eaten. So mm. now you have no seed stock. You have nothing. So the crop, oh, wow. just to give you an idea, when um, mm. in 1920, only 18% of uh, cropland was actually planted. So you're looking at a drop of 82%. Wow. Yeah, mm. 82%. And that's why we're talking about famine in Ukraine. But it was not just Ukraine. I mean, it was pretty much everywhere in the country. And 
That's so bad. did they start forcing at that point? Like, okay, so farmers just don't want to. Um, so, right. So, never, exactly. And we can't get anything exactly. out of it. So. so, yeah, let's organize them so let's and organize make them plant. Them and make them plant. So, the uh, country went and they had to buy the seed stock because everything was depleted. And, of course, nobody would take the money. Mm -hmm. Everybody wanted some, something solid like gold. Right. So that's why all the gold disappeared from the churches, and they were pulling gold leaf off the uh, churches and everything else because yeah. everything oh, was wow, yeah. smelted, and then it was sent. Most of it was actually sent to the United States. Yep, the museum uh, us were depleted of whatever they could sell <laughs> in exchange for so. grain and seed stock, and then everybody was hoarded into collective farms, given the seeds, taking their passports away, and going, "You go at it." Wow. Or or well. There's all sorts of possibilities. Not all are good. And you you had a plan. You're supposed to provide X amount of this farm. And there'll be a dude in charge mm. who'll be watching over you. But, you know, again, if you don't fulfill the plan, you don't go live long. It's just mm. the way it is. So it, this, it was about this time, I think, that you have a... A story. Yes, yes. So my um, great-grandparents were were farmers, and then at that time they were called kulaks. Not gulag as in the, the camp, the concentration camps, but kulaks is, you know, the farmer that has a little extra or a little more than the average person. Okay. So okay. in their case, they had a cow and a couple of chickens. So they were and better. That's extra. Yeah. So they were better off than most, and they had their house. They had a, a nice plot of land, mm -hmm. and um, so they they had some visitors who came in to take whatever they can, and my grandfather was one of them. They refused to give away their cow because that's what was feeding their family, mm -hmm. and they were shot, and everything was confiscated. Wow. Yeah. And then he ended up marrying my grandma so he can take over the land and the house. Wow. Good grief. Yeah, and that's that's all I know. The family never talked about it. Uh, Grandma never really talked about it much. I know just little bits and pieces I learned from my mom or from some of my aunts and uncles, but not much. And then again, that was we knew about it, but it was never uh, brought up. Brought up. Nobody never like nobody dwelt on it. It was just you know. Move on. Yeah, it happened. We know about it. Let's move on. And then again, I never met my grandfather. Okay. I never met my grandfather on mom's, mom's side, and uh, of she didn't really have a good relationship with any, with him either because he divorced my grandma after the eighth child was born. Mm. Oh, wow. Kind of, you know, because grandma was very religious, and he said that that didn't help him to move up with his political career. Oh, wow. Wow. And all of that so. entire story is based on food shortage. Yeah. Yeah. And then you look at the Soviet Union in general, every, like between 
revolution, well, between World War One, Revolution, World War Two, Stalin's repressions, every family was affected in one way or another. Hmm. Yeah, so no, yeah. people really didn't talk much about it just because everybody had the everybody. same story. Right. Or similar. So, you know, there was not, well, and again, I mean, some of the stuff, you didn't want to bring it up just because you never know who you're talking to. Yeah, like his mm. grandfather spent years in uh, Stalin's camps. We still don't know why. Wow, really? Well, there was a story, but... Um, What's true? Was, What's true? Well, one of the things we're going to try and do is maybe go back to archives and uh, oh, right. see if we can pull something out. Mm -hmm. um, we tried once before and basically said there's no records on them, which, well, there's got to be something somewhere. Right. Uh, although a lot of them, again, between the wars and everything else, a lot of things got destroyed sure. because the way it is. Right. But, yeah. Well. Oh. Now, okay. Again, it was the food. As soon as the cities stop producing, the country's going to start saving up mm -hmm. and kind of go back into their hole because what good is the city going to do anybody? And you guys fairly recently have bought your own farm. It's and, been a couple of years. And, a couple of years. And made a made a move now out of Colorado onto a, your property, building your own homestead. Yeah. Exciting. Are there signs yeah. what, of the times here that you've been living here for nearly 30 years? Are there are there some signs or signals that have led you to? You said that you you made the comment that it's almost in in uh, their DNA now is how you said it that they just have a sense subconscious yes and they would go into a mode. Uh, it, is that you, are you so. in a mode? I I think so. <laughs> I think so. I mean, we kind of laugh at it, but at the same time, yeah, it's serious. Um, you know, yeah. Especially after this whole COVID thing started. Yeah. People, I mean, you see the society collapsing just like that. I mean, people shooting each other over a roll of toilet paper and things escalate fast. You see the uh, you see varieties are disappearing at the store. Mm -hmm. You know, even like you would come in, you had endless amount of whatever bread, cereals, deli meats. And now you see that the it's getting smaller. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Things are no longer available. Now, we got a long way to go to the USSR, but... <laughs> Inflation is one of them. Got, you got inflation that's going through the roof. You got a court system that is really questionable now. People stop having faith in the government. And that's all the government is. It's a faith-based system, just like religion. Collapse as of education. As long as you have faith in the government, it's going to keep going. Once you lose that faith, and when you watch TV, you see the riots on the streets, and they say, oh, well, it's heated but mostly peaceful protests. Okay, fine. It's not what I see, so I'm just going to make my own conclusion. Um, when you look at judicial system where, you know, people getting prosecuted, and or held in jail for no apparent reason, um, 
and no sentencing being done. Uh, I mean, we have political prisoners now for people going in for the memes. Oh, when you have... Uh... You know, there's two uh, types of people in Gulag, ones that are telling jokes and the other ones who are listening uh, or uh -huh. laughing at them. <laughs> really? Yeah. That's well, and like when you look at this, you know, there you I'm sure you heard of certain cases when you realize that something's wrong with it when the villain becomes the victim and the hero becomes the villain. Hmm. You know, somebody who tries to help all of a sudden is villainized. Hmm. Hmm. You see, people being basically demoralized. I mean, we're talking about, you know, no matter how hard you work, you're not going to get anywhere in the USSR. I mean, arguably, but we still we start seeing the same stuff here, especially with the youngsters, uh, with the inflation and everything else, where it don't matter how hard they work, they can't afford a house. They right. can barely afford a vehicle. Yeah. Um, they can provide themselves with basic necessities, but it's nothing to what it was I remember. It. Right. And that was just late 90s, mm -hmm. where I work a day and my rent is covered, I'm another day my gas for a month is covered and then you're just walking around this 18 year old 19 year old with wads of cash going hmm mm -hmm. what should I do now mm -hmm. yeah and that's just working you know construction job um so we definitely see a lot of those tensions and again people I think the uh, social contract is just being dissolved right in front of our eyes people don't have faith in the government no matter who's in the government Mm -hmm. I mean, we know, I don't think we're going to agree anytime soon on the things that we've seen. And there's other signs, like the fall of morals, you know, um, the fall of a family unit, I guess, because it's not... So is that something you saw also in USSR? When yes. Things sort of yeah, yes. USSR, I mean, declining? all the libertarian movements and... Liberal ideas of progressivism, uh, progressivism mm -hmm. of uh, 1918s, you know, except communal wives and things of that nature. Um, after that, when Stalin took over, even, uh, they... even, even before that, I think it was fairly conservative mm -hmm. um, society. I mean, the family was centerpiece of a yeah, family unit was yeah. what everything um, was structured around. Yeah, everything was structured around family and, I mean... And faith. Well, was there faith? before? Prior before, to revolution, prior to, yes. Prior to revolution. Okay, um, so we break down the family, we break down the faith. Food supplies, education, and military. Education, military, food supply, collapse. Mm. That's how, that's kind of how currency it went. Currency being devalued, debt currency out of was control. devalued. Um, currency out of con mm. uh, debt out of debt control. out of control. Yeah. Okay. So the signs are there. Signs are there. Mm. So you, you mentioned uh -huh. education. You've chosen to homeschool. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, was COVID? We were forced to take the kids. And, home, you know, yeah. start doing some form of uh, homeschooling mm -hmm. just the way the school system, at least in our county, was operating. So we had to spend a certain amount going online. And once we start paying attention to what's going on, uh, that was a head scratcher. And for us, you know, being in the, living in the United States, 
Um, this country, say what you will, but we're based on Judeo-Christian values. Yes. And I think the schools stop teaching the values, whether it's patriotism, whether it's religion, and mm-hmm. I understand the separation of religion and state and everything else. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we have a freedom of religion, but it does not necessarily mean that it's uh, freedom from religion. Um, and the moral compass is no longer there. And we know we don't go to church every Sunday, but at the same time, we want to see the moral compass in our kids. Hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. how do you tell them right from wrong? But they don't know it, right? Where's your compass? Where? How? How do you know that? Where's? How do you build your system of values where there is no values? Hmm. And I mean, there's just things that the kids, when you're talking to kids that are in school now. It's so funny how you see this clip mentality of here's your parents, here's the real kid, and here's the school. Mm-hmm. And then the sexualization of kids, <coughs> too, you know, when this whole transgender idea being shoved down the throat of kindergartners. Mm-hmm. I mean, they mm-hmm. don't understand, you know, today he's Johnny, tomorrow he wants to be Thomas the Train. They don't have the concept of what they're being fed. Right. Yeah, and then you have parents that are, yeah, my kid is this and that, and uh, non-binary. Kids don't even have understanding of what it is. Right. Mm. And then in the meantime, they cannot read, they cannot write, they cannot spell, they don't know history. We mm. just need to get back to the basics mm. if we want to save the country. But I'm not even sure if it's possible. I mean, I'm looking at it, like I said, I see the USSR. I see everybody pulling their own way, and nobody can agree on anything. Hmm. So you guys did become citizens of the United States? Yes. So this is your problem, too? Oh, right? yeah, of course. Oh, yeah, of course. No, I mean, uh, <laughs> right, just, right. No, I mean, no, perspective, we can the see the parallels. Yeah, you know? exactly. But you guys are, different. you belong here now um, in your oh, heart. Oh, yeah, this is home. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, although every time every once in a while we're joking about it, like, you know, the Euro Mountains look real good right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, our next village is about 600 miles away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Watch all those travel shows. It's and, called the Ozarks uh, in the well, United States. Well, <laughs> so my, my family, I mean, um, uh. got a lot of old believers, and they were, uh, mm. you know, they were kind of scattered all over the empire back in the 1700s. And a lot of them are in Siberia, still live in the villages. Um, they're very isolated. They have no isolated. roads leading to them. Hmm. It's sort of um, no, it's not quite Amish way of living. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but you can compare it to. You them. can okay. compare it to, and um, that's the way they choose to live, and where they yes. choose to live. That's how ha- that's right. of their own choosing. And at they, this point, they don't want to have anything to do with the government. They don't want to have anything to do with anything. Mm. They're they self reliant. They're self reliant. Just leave us alone. Um. They don't want to mm. serve in the army. They don't want to participate in wars. Mm. They just want to be left alone. And every once in a while, looking at it, I mean, there's you know TV just talking about the draft. And well, little one, she doesn't know. Mm. Daddy, you gonna get drafted? I'm like, no, nah, I'm too old for that. Mm. But but you think about it, she is you know 12, and yeah. the Afghan war was what? Mm. How long did it take? Almost 20 years. Yeah. So, I mean, we have generations that grew up with that. Yep. Mm. And it's amazing. And yeah. 
you know, you kind of start worrying about your kids. Yeah. I mean, we're whatever, but, you know, there's just a lot of uncertainty. So how do you describe freedom? What is it to you? I'll say it's 100 acres of freedom. 100 acres. It's just being able to produce for yourself, to provide for yourself. Um, I mean, we're lucky we don't have a lot of regulations. Hardly any. Uh, Hardly any. So that is wonderful. Yeah. Um, Having good neighbors. Mm. I mean, that goes such a long way. It does. Um, So it's a combination of all those things. Yeah. Mostly not having the government watching over you. And it doesn't mean that you're doing anything wrong. It's just that, again, pretty much most of the country is so regulated and over-regulated. Well, you're supposed to have your barn this color. Mm. You you cannot have chickens. We have so many people coming from different states. And one of our neighbors, he's kind of a local prankster. And uh, he's driving (laughs) by a house. And there's a guy who just bought a house. Mm -hmm. And he's sitting there with a sprinkler watering the grass in Missouri. Well, okay. <laughs> drove by, just kind of gave him a look, turned around, went back, and there's a good neighbor going, what you doing? He goes, watering the grass. Well, why would you do that? Because I can't. Oh, wow. And it turned out it was a guy from California who yep. bought, a, bought a house, and his definition of freedom was to turn on the sprinkler and let it run and just sit there on the porch and watch it run. Wow. Mm. I mean, that's how little we need to define freedom. Mm. And everybody's got their own story. and mm-hmm. But there's so many people that are coming to the Ozarks um, that have their freedom story. And it's those little things. It's not something monumental out there. It's Mm-mm. just a little thing. Hmm. Yeah, you're right. It is the little things. And some of the big ones. Yeah, but then yeah. the little things... They add keep building. Up. Yep, they, they keep add adding up. up. They do. Yep. I know they have yeah. for us too. Yeah. Things that we didn't, we didn't even realize. Mm-hmm. Some of the things, and you go, wait, yeah, that you know, as you as you're experiencing no building codes. Oh, well, that's that's interesting. I had no idea there were no building codes here, but wow. That makes a lot of sense, and I feel the freedom in that. Like, oh, my God, we can actually build this house on our timeline the way we want to without all of the yeah. regulations. Yeah, and how much would that do for your personal life and mm. just your sanity? So much. Exactly. Yeah. That, that's a little thing. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. talking about the abstract thing that's in the book somewhere. Mm-hmm. You don't have to go to Federalist Papers in order to figure it out. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm interested in you. You discussed that when when the Soviet Union collapsed, it was very it, it happened quickly. It like not a whole lot of lead up. Mm. Are are you prepared for that now? Is it something that you think about, given all of the stuff that we've talked about and some that we haven't? But is it? Are do you do you think? Wow, this could happen again. Oh, absolutely. I think it's pretty much a certain deal will happen. Mm. In the United States? I think so. Well, simple things. How are we going to deal with national debt? 
I mean, keep printing. Yeah. Keep printing is nothing but devaluing your money. So now whatever savings you have, whatever savings I have, I mean, we're going to be in a situation where it's going to be, you know, you were saving for a car and now you can buy a loaf of bread. And that's where we're going back to the education system where, you know, between literacy rates and like we're talking about 54% are below, below six. six grade. So that goes, how can people understand complex concepts? I mean, you see people on TV going, well, if you can print X amount of money right now, why don't you just print the money and give it to everybody and call it good? And you're talking about politicians being serious about it. Mm -hmm. Oh, we're just going to print $2 trillion and give it to disadvantaged people. Yeah. Well, that's great. Uh, how is that going to work? But we see a lot of that, and that's the kind of people that's going to get, that's already in the government, mm -hmm. and that's, that they, that's the decisions that they make. I mean, I'm sure you probably see it in the military at some point. Sure. Um, you see it in the local governments. You see it everywhere. It's incompetence. So education, we have incompetence, and the people that are incompetent are running the show. Eventually, I think it's a certain something's going to happen. Are you prepared for it? No. Mm. Well, like in Colorado, for example, you know, you look at the local politicians, and their solution to every problem is we're going to raise the taxes. Mm. Well, and then you look the mo like for example in our county, most of um, the local government officials they come with uh, nonprofit backgrounds, so they really have no idea how things run, how the businesses work. Organized All they know is wrong. yeah, take the money and spend it. Huh. So their solution to everything is let's raise the property taxes, tax and spend, tax yep. and spend. The thing that humors me right. though is you know. I'm sure you see it around too. And the Ozarks have a lot of what we call preppers or people that are, you know, they think they're ready for it, whatever it might be. No. Mm. No. No amount of ammunition, no amount of uh, food will probably help, but they'll also make you a target. Mm. Um, there's a lot of things you just don't think about. Your gun will not save you from the mob. Right. A gun mm. will not save you from the mob. Um, there's just no way to prepare yourself for what's coming. You can try to ease certain things, ease the pain by, you know, having equipment like a tractor you can plow land. Because eventually, even if it's one tractor between all the neighbors, you can make things work. Um, there's certain things you can do, but... Nobody's going to be prepared for their savings being wiped out, uh, their food being confiscated, or their house being part of the uh, homeless solution problem problem solution. Hmm. Where you know we're just and we're already seeing it. I mean, we're seeing it in California where they say, "Well, if it's an empty house, we're just going to let those people stay in there." It belongs to somebody. Hmm. Well, they don't care. I mean, mm. squatters' rights and everything else. Yeah, people people do it. So we we see all those signs that are out there. I just don't think that anybody can be one hundred percent prepared. Prepared, and most people have no idea what. Many people about. listening to this might think, "Well, that's just a doom. You're it's really doomsday, or you know, why well, you're doomer, mm -hmm. you know." Yeah. But the interesting or the reason that you guys' perspective is so valuable in our time right now is that. You have seen it, you have witnessed it, felt it, lived through it, and 
are able to look through a completely different lens than the rest of us and able to provide that perspective to, hey, guys, uh, it ain't good. Well, I think people, biggest mistake people make is they go, well, you know, I got 10,000 rounds of ammunition, a pile of food, come get me. What you want to do is you want to network, you want to create a community to Mm -hmm. where, hey, you know what, I can ask my neighbor to do certain things. I can barter with my neighbor. I can, you know, there's the things. Networking is way better than locking yourself up in a bunker and mm. trying. Yeah, yeah. You're gonna run out of ammo. Community that's gonna get hungry. We're gonna go get the bunker. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> you know who knows, but um, yeah. So, so the, the you've you've lived it. You experienced it. Um, the country collapsed where's where's your we've talked about your your thought for the future here where where's your hope where's your what's what's the upside like you you get up every day and you're hopeful where's that coming from what do you see i don't think we really look at it that much you know we get up and First thought of a day, who's going to go let the chickens out and feed the dogs? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you just look at what you need to do to be self-reliant. Mm. And um, don't depend on the government. I, I um, look at you and you give me hope. Because to me, the the especially having served for 25 years the this nation the idea of a potential collapse is is very dark it's very you know it's very very heavy and for you to with with everything that you've seen to say it's it's looking imminent that's very heavy to me but but you lived it you Why? lived through it and now you're here you're telling here, the tale and you're happy and you're smiling and you have a family and you have a hundred acres of freedom. And so to, to me, just, just you being who you are, it, it gives me hope that that is amazing. I think your story is amazing and you guys being able to, to share it for, for me is is a huge amount of hope. Well, and then, you know, if you look through history, every collapse gives birth to something else. I mean, mm-hmm. there's empires that collapsed and then it gave birth to something else. The world didn't end, it kept going. It just that perspective evolved into something different. That perspective, though, we don't have it. I, I can tell you, Shelly and I don't have that perspective. That is, that is, that is something that you're bringing that is unique. Mm-hmm. That I, we don't, I would say the majority of at least our generation, we don't have that. It, it feels, it feels devastating. The idea of a, a nation collapse, right? Like the world is coming to an end. Yeah. But I mean, there's this idea of national divorce that's been out there for many years. Uh, so it's not something that's new. I mean, I think a lot of people seeing the signs, whether or not it's going to come to fruition, who knows. Mm-hmm. But you also see a younger generation, the kids, 
that are being homeschooled that are just different breed. Mm-hmm. And that they're, gives you hope. They're yeah. tough. Oh, they're yeah. resilient. They're smart. Um, I always just put a big old smile on my face. There's this girl that was like three years old dragging it. We were cleaning up after the event. and She's dragging the chair, stumbling, falling. And I was like expecting to catch her. She's, she's going to cry. She just gets up, grabs a chair that's bigger than her, and she just keeps dragging it. Like, that's the girl. You know, she's going to be resilient. Yeah. And just that ability to overcome. You see a lot of it, especially the kids that are homeschooled, although the ones that are brought on the farm, they know the value of work, they know the value of food, they know the basics of it. So, I mean, we'll definitely... Uh, that gives me hope. I mean, just just seeing the younger generation, um, and you know they're gonna be able to overcome. Hmm. You know that kid that's giving it, giving it help, dragging the chair. Right, oh, she's gonna be resilient. Mm-hmm. She's gonna do it. And you know, watching Anastasia growing, and I mean, gosh, she is my best help on the farm. I mean, what are yeah. we setting the T posts? What is doing the chores? You guys know that too. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you're watching the kids work, and yeah. now they know the value of it. Sure, mm-hmm. they know where the food comes from. They, and once you know, once you understand the value of things, that's your moral compass, and that's how you quantify, and that's how you network. That's how you meet people. I mean, that's the whole system of values that you create around just the hard work. Mm. Um, a lot of people nowadays, I think they're missing it, but. Uh, there's, you see the resurgence of homesteading, yeah. of people leaving the cities and people starting new. So you, well, you mentioned it. that, that, that make, well, so we've got people coming here from all over the place, it seems. Uh, they're, they're wanting to do something else with their families. They're wanting to pull them opt out of the systems that have been, that we have been right. programmed to be in. Mm-hmm. Right. And they're opting out of it. Uh for instance, homesteading, do you have any advice specifically for people who are headed towards wanting to homestead? Because there are a lot of people saying, I want to go be more self-reliant. I want to go start my own homestead and I'm going to start growing my own food. And I have a lot of plans. Be realistic. Be realistic. <laughs> With um, what you can do, um, be realistic about the finances. Mm. Um, meaning it's not all free no (laughs) not at all it is not free food that you grew yourself free food (laughs) and you don't even count your hours that you put in and it's still not free food Mm. and nobody's paying you overtime why well first of all you got to figure out why you do this okay i mean what is it if you try to get grow clean food Mm -hmm. great if you're trying to bond as a family awesome one of the surviving things and how it helped survive through the fall of soviet union is bartering and moonshining Mm. (laughs) you make some moon well because during gorbachev basically destroyed you're talking about ethanol fuel right now right (laughs) yeah Yeah. sure (laughs) So sure. you're making ethanol fuel to fuel the tractor, and then uh, your tractor gets to plow your land, 
Yeah, you, you have a plot of land, you need to plant potatoes, but you need to plow first. If you do it with a shovel yourself, you're going to be doing it for months. Yeah. So, but you know, you have some ethanol and you go to your neighbor who has a tractor and say, hey, I give you this, can you plow my field? Mm. Sure. ethanol into gas and keeps... <laughs> 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 but seriously, though, you got to be realistic uh, and just set your goals. You cannot look at, you know, you're feeding your chickens and you spend X amount of food on food and you got X amount of eggs and it doesn't equate. It will never equate. I mean, you cannot quantify your farm production unless you're a mega farm hmm. where mm -hmm. your chickens are all in the cage being tilted up and down depending on their needs. Mm -hmm. um, you know, those eggs might be mighty expensive eggs, mm -hmm. but they're good. They're very good. And, and they're, they're good yours. for you. And you I can't mean, eat people get chicken feet. People get discouraged mm -hmm. um, because mm -hmm. they don't, they expect it to be a business and it's not. Mm -hmm. So like my buddy said, well, you got yourself a very expensive hobby. Mm -hmm. In a sense it is, but I, I, the way I see it, I mean, it's going back to the freedom. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm looking at those pigs running through the woods going. Yeah. And the fact that you don't rely exactly. on the grocery store. Exactly. For every bite of food that your family eats. Um, well, and the quality is just, you cannot compare it. No. But, you know, be, be ready Agree. to be tired. Be ready to be tired. Be ready to have breakdowns and meltdowns and equipment breakdowns. And, I mean, there are some people that are asking for help. Because they're trying to get out of here. And mm. they spent all their resources on trying to make it. And they were made it. And their truck broke down. So they can't even get out of here. Mm. Mm. There are stories like that. Yeah, I mean, but on the other hand, you hear stories about people. There's like a couple of three kids living out in the tent. Building their own cabin with the wood they harvested on their own acreage. Yeah. Mm. Um, Freedom. Freedom. Yeah. Everybody's seeking that, whatever that means to them. Exactly, exactly. So just be realistic. Uh, set up small goals. Little victories. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you if you can do that, then you're going to have something big. But mm -hmm. don't just plan on being done in six months with all your infrastructure. And, you know, be realistic about your sweat equity and... And it's a way of life, and it's long. It's a it's a marathon. It is. It is, and you it's need, not a sprint for sure. Yeah, and then you gotta learn how to prioritize. Mm. You know, and um, your family time is a priority too. Mm -hmm. You have to make sure you spend time with each other. You have to spend time with your kids. Yeah, it's very important. You know, yeah. the the chicken coop can wait. But your kid will grow up before you know it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's. that's they do the, grow up and leave. That's the biggest you. thing of running the businesses and working doubles and doing all that. There's one thing you cannot buy is time. And your kids will grow up and they'll be gone. And you'll be sitting there going, well, was it really worth it? Mm -hmm. I think that's part of the style that brought us here to where we closed down one business. And we sort of let go of the other as far as just not being as hands-on. Yeah. And just let somebody else manage it. Going, you know, right. we have people in place. Let's just let it go. See what happens. And you know, bless was having the right people in the right places. But 
Mm-hmm. That was hard. Mm-hmm. But you get to see kids growing up. I mean, I have not seen Anastasia for the first three, four years probably. Yeah. Just because we're running this laundry plant and we're doing this and we're doing all those projects. And it feels good to provide. Yeah. But then the trade-off, you know, I mean, do you really want this late model car? Do you really need this big old house? Or are you being better off driving an older clunker and living in a smaller house and hanging out with your kids? Yeah. Mm. And, you know, tending to animals and going on a hike on your own property. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, you know, things like that. Mm. We agree. It's being, you know, freedom. You don't have to, you don't have the customers waiting on you. I mean, yeah, you have you have your customers with yeah, you, you do. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean. I yeah. Mean, yes. They, yeah, they can always address the uh, customer service. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> complaint <sure>. line. <laughs> exactly. If they complain too much, they're going to end up in a soup. <laughs> I mean, that's just the way it is. But, um, yeah. you know, so it's, it's, it's definitely different. I think mentally, um, if you're prepared... You're gonna be in much better spot mm. than just trying to hit the deadlines and you mm-hmm. know, worrying about supply chains and things breaking down. I mean, I sure. still have to deal with some of that, but it's huge not to have it every day. Another piece of advice would be probably get books, real books, hard, you know, hard copies, not the uh, electronic versions of it. Mm. Yep. As resources, and, you make know, a, it's like make yourself a library. Make yourself a library. Google. Just because internet is not always reliable. Not when you're in the here. country. No, not no. you in know. Here country. we are, twenty first century America, uh, and yeah, you cannot sometimes call anybody, mm-hmm. or you cannot find information on the internet because it's just not working. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then when you have a medical emergency with your livestock, Mm -hmm. what are you going to do? You can't find that YouTube video how to (laughs) fix your chicken leg. And (laughs) And unfortunately, a lot of YouTube videos later have been useless. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And a lot of information, I don't know if you guys, maybe it's just me, but when you're trying to look something that is related to homesteading, growing things, there's just a bunch of mumbo jumbo that's absolutely useless. Yeah, and, and you, you end up wasting through, hours trying to find trying one to little find piece, piece of information. information. Right. So now we're kind of catching ourselves going back to the books just because it seems like the information that you're getting off the web now is just either irrelevant mm. or people are filtered out. It's, it's so yeah, it's, it's just right. It's just made for clickbaits, I guess. Mm. A uh, lot of yeah. it. I think Got there's it. just a lot of garbage out there that you don't yeah. really you're wasting a lot of time right looking through it. Sure. Mm. Sure. And then get your kids off the <laughs> devices too. Mm. Like, well, you can't do it an hour a day and time, you know, yeah. agent. But limit it. Try to get them outside the bed. Get them outside and get them to read. And get them off. Yeah, get get them involved in whatever is going on on your homestead. Pull them in. Let them. One thing that we do is even if it isn't, when kids are doing things, it's often not going to be exactly the way that we would do it. But let them 
Let them do it. Let them. But then again, you know, even do it their way. Fancy project with your kid might lead to a physics lesson. Oh right, a, right. A history lesson. That's economy. Right. Yes. Oh uh, yeah. That's right. A, a lot of times when you set in your ways. <laughs> And kids are doing it differently. Uh-huh. I'll, I'll at least attempt to explain why I'm doing it this way. Yeah. Because uh, they get discouraged. Yes, they do. And you're just like, you know, sometimes you go, I can't do I it can, right. I can just do it myself way faster than you just being. <laughs> uh, but if you explain them why, they can be your best helpers out there. Oh, yeah. Um, they just, and that helps them think through it. Mm hmm. And learn. And yeah, I mean, you spend time with them. It can be history lesson or any lesson. Any yeah. lesson. Uh, you yep. just talk to kids, and while you got time, mm-hmm. and when you're working together, you know, you got time. You're making it. Yeah. And the time is priceless. Yeah. Yep, that's right. Well, speaking of time, well, guys, this, this has been awesome. It's been amazing. It's been really, really fun. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. Uh, Thank you so wow. much. And then again, we just scratched the surface. I and know. There's a lot of the subjects that we talk about, you have to dive so deep into them to even get a little bit of understanding mm-hmm. of what was yeah. really happening. And right. again, what we were saying, it's just our perspective. It's, you know, how we saw it. And again, we saw it being kids. Sure. Sure. But, and just, but as I said, you do have a perspective and you your willingness to share that is amazing. And we really appreciate it. Yeah. So thank you. Thanks for your time. This has been awesome. Thanks for your openness. Yeah. Yeah. This has oh, been great. It's been, yeah. it's been really cool. So right. thank you. All right. Well, this has been awesome. And um, thank you guys again. And until next week. Bye, y'all. Bye, y'all. Bye. <laughs>